a lasso. So this morning we return to the fourth immeasurable, the grand finale of the four immeasurables, the equanimity. And it strikes me that once again the, this powerful analogy of the dream can be very revealing, very helpful in this regard. When you're in the midst of a non-lucid dream, in other words, you think this is simply reality, you may be, become so attached to a certain person or persons in the dream that if anything should happen to them, if they should become ill, if they should die, within that dream, you might just be overwhelmed by grief. Right? Just so attached. How can I live without you? How can I live without you? Don't die. Don't die. You can imagine the same type of emotion that you would experience in the waking state at the loss of a loved one. It's exactly the same emotion, no less, could arise in the dream. Right? And likewise, there may be somebody in the dream that's treated you so badly, or just their behavior in general is so evil, so horrendous, that you loathe them. You're like, you shouldn't exist in my world. You should, I can't bear being on the same planet with you. Which is a little bit weird. Because, of course, whoever you encounter in the dream, they are creations. I'm here, it's quite clear, right? They are creations of your own mind. And there they are personified. Now, bearing in mind also that we can dream all kinds of things. Obviously, the variety is tremendous. But generally speaking, there's one thing we, one among many things we can't dream. We can't dream of people talking a language that we don't know. If you don't know Swahili, you might just have them going, or whatever. It would be a, sh a sham, but kind of like, okay, that's Swahili-ish, or whatever, you know, the Bushman of the Kandahari whatever, but they won't speak a language that you don't understand, right? And that's just straight language. Maybe making kind of noises as if, but they won't. If you're fluent in two languages, of course, people in the dream can speak either language that you speak, because they're drawing from the same pool, right? Now, when you become lucid, then the veil of delusion is lifted, and you're seeing the dream as the dream. But people may behave in the same way in a lucid dream as they do in a non-lucid dream. And this is one of the remarkable things about the disparity between yourself within the dream and other people in the dream. In one of my earliest dreams, this really struck me, that I was, one of my earliest lucid dreams, I think I said, and that is I was so lucid, it was just transparently clear that I'm dreaming, and yet nobody else in the dream that I encountered seemed to be aware of that fact. Nor were they even interested in whether it was a dream or not. And I was, but they weren't. And I was awake, but they weren't. And they could do, they, and even in a lucid dream, where you know this is all a creation of my mind, that's why you're lucid, people behave in unpredictable ways. You don't know what they're going to do next. It could be a whole bunch of them. So every time you enter into a dream, you really have entered into a multiple personality syndrome. Because all of these figures, some of them you may have a long dream, and they may have very complex characters, and they may surprise you, be virtuous in the first part of the dream, and then really mean and nasty later on, or vice versa. And there's just no telling. 
Because even though it's your dream, this persona in the dream, the one you're identifying with, is not in control of the other ones. Right? Quite interesting, isn't it? So now let's relate this to, without too many words, more words, relate this back into the, wake, the waking state. But just with one more, one more little footnote for the dream. And that in the dream, as you understand people within your dream, lucid or non-lucid, nobody will appear in that dream more evil than you can imagine. And no one in, in, will appear in the dream more virtuous, sublime, holy, wise, realized than you can imagine. Because it's this, the source of your imagination. It's from your substrate consciousness, right? So in other words, all of the figures in your dream, they are painted from the palette of your own memories and so forth stored in your own substrate consciousness. But that's your palette. If your palate were the Dalai Lama's palate, that would be a different palate. If it were some terrorist or some, you know, Stalin or somebody like that, that would be a different palate, right? But everybody who appears in your dream, they are the artistic creations drawn from the palate of your own memories, your own imagination and so forth, and not outside, and not outside. Now, dreams and waking state are clearly not the same. And that is when you fade from the dream, it slips, the dream fades out, and you're slipping back into the substrate consciousness, into deep dreamless sleep. Well, all those characters, they're not hanging out like, when's he going to wake up again? I'm bored. You know? they're, they're not hanging out anywhere, right? Like, please wake up. I want to play again, you know, like unemployed actors. They're not anywhere, right? They're just, because they have no existence whatsoever apart from this free creation in the hollow deck of your substrate. And as soon as you slip back into deep, deep dreaming sleep, they're gone. They're totally gone, right? Because they were mere apparitions anyway. Now, here's one crucial demarcation between the dream state and the waking state. And it's obvious, so I'll say it really quickly. I die. If I should die right now, nobody else dies. If I just have a, have a stroke uh, uh, and I'm over, then nobody else dies. That is, we have individual continua. So that's clear. That's a big difference. That's a big difference, right? So you're not, I'm not dreaming you. That's for sure. Shall I jump just to make sure? Yeah. Oh, I'll just pull mine out. No, it's just as big as it used to be, but no, no, no bigger. But now, although that's true, the parallels are strong. And that is, in the waking state, again, we, don't, we can't predict other people's behavior. We don't know what's coming up next. And moreover, we don't govern it. We don't govern it. People may behave really very badly or really virtuously, but we're not governing that either. And so these things are beyond our control, and they're occurring independently of whether we're attending to them or not. Right? It's quite true. Now we're just speaking practically, daytime experience. What other people do, how they interact, and so forth. That will continue on, whether we're not here. We'll, we'll play a role, but it's going on with us or without us. Okay? But... In terms of how we make sense of people, how we conceive of people, how we make them three-dimensional, because in terms of just sheer raw sense impressions, what, what are we really picking up from other people? Visual, okay, that's shape and color. Okay, there's Regina. Ah, Regina's shape and color. She's flat. I mean, she's a holodeck, but she's just shape and color. 
Well, no, that's not Regina. That's just shape and color. And I could hear Regina's voice. And okay, well, that's voice. I got that. No, that's just voice. That's just sound. I could touch her knee. Yeah, that's tactile sensation. Okay, good. Maybe some, maybe she has some perfumes. Like, oh, there's a perfume. And we'll go, we won't go to taste. <laughs> but all I'm getting is these two-dimensional flat impressions, right? That's all there is to it. I'm just getting impressions. They're just flat. They're not people. So now when I personify, when I understand Regina as a human being, three-dimensional, looking back with her own mind, her hopes, her fears, personal history, in other words, a full-fledged, 100% bona fide human being, and I'm making sense of the way she behaves, when she embraces her son, when she speaks, when she walks, and so forth and so on, when I'm making sense of all of that, then can I just take a, a, a scoop and kind of put my scoop over into Regina and scoop out a chunk of her subjective experience, her motivations, her hopes, fears, personal history, and so forth. Can I just scoop in and then, and then put that into my palette and then make her three-dimensional by you know, scooping? Not possible. Not unless you're clairvoyant. So as I make sense of Regina's, her presence, her behavior, and so forth and so on, I'm scooping from someplace. But it's not from hers. It's from mine. I'm making sense of her behavior, how she speaks, and so forth and so on drawn from my experience. In other words, when I, when I make sense of Regina, taking obviously just one example, the Regina that makes sense to me, that I understand, is Regina relative to me. It's Alan Regina, Alan Cecil, Alan Quinn. I never just get 100% Quinn, because I always have to process you, understand you in terms of what makes sense to me. But if and I'll say nobody at all, Jack, as in Jack and Jill. If Jack is so evil, just one of those sociopaths, psychopaths, malevolent, I'm not saying that down to his essence, but really deep, I, I won't be able to quite fathom that. I'll only be able to go as evil as far as my imagination goes. But he may be really prone to more evil than I can even imagine. So I'll go this far, but I won't be able to go all the way with him because my palate just doesn't stretch that far of just such teeth-clenching malice. That may be beyond my imagination. And then likewise, in the other spectrum, people who have profound realization, who have such profoundly open hearts, such deep bodhicitta, and so forth and so on, they're also beyond my bandwidth. I can go this far, and then the rest is just invisible. Because that's beyond my palate, beyond my wavelength. Okay? Quite interesting, isn't it? And so now we go to equanimity. And as we consider, I'm going to wrap up now, as we consider the people that just rise where we cringe, where there's just some contraction like, I wish that person didn't exist. It's so bad, or treated me so badly, or just treats other people so bad, or it's just so bad, just so bad. I just oh, Hostility, resentment, aversion, anger, hatred arises. We're drawing from our own palate. We're drawing from our own palate. And it will be right exactly within the same bandwidth as if we were dreaming that person. Not better, not worse. And likewise, when you go to the person we're very attached to, find so splendid, so admirable, so adorable, so magnificent, so beautiful, positive, virtuous, good, that's good. But all that attracts you, really, is from your own palate. Otherwise, we'd be as attracted to photos in a magazine as we are to people. 
because there's some gorgeous people displayed on photos and magazines or in the movies and so forth. Just wow, beautiful or handsome or whoa. But we don't fall in love with magazines. At least most of us don't. Or movies, you know, like oh, 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 oh. Because it's, it's flat. Right? So we fall in love where we become very attached to people. But once again, that which we find so attractive and so repulsive, drawn from our own palate, always drawn from our own palate, as if we were dreaming. So in the cultivation of equanimity, as if we were in a lucid dream, where still there may be repulsive people, awful, horrible people appearing in our lucid dream, and absolutely splendid, admirable, delightful, attractive people appearing in the dream, but you're lucid, then you recognize, yes, this person's way of behaving, appearing and so forth. Maybe what this person does is really awful, really evil. It's true. And what this person does and how appears is truly virtuous and attractive and beautiful and just lovely and good. And that's still true. But they're all that I find repulsive, all that I find attractive, coming from my own mind. So now, in this dream, where's the common ground? where there's no difference. There's no, I'm higher, you're lower. No lower, and you're higher. Where's the common ground? Right? And that's the reality check we're seeking in the cultivation of equanimity. That we allow the aversion to arise. We allow the attachment, the craving, the desire to arise. We allow it, bring it out so we can see it. Just like checking the lion at the gate. What's your experience of being the agent, this real, real agent in there? Show yourself, Mr. Wizard of Oz, you know, show yourself. Pull back the curtain. So likewise, we pull back the curtain and say, yep, that's how much I can't stand that person. It, I really can't stand that person. And that's how I love that person. Oh. Right? And then we've done that. Good. This person is so dissimilar to me, because this person is much worse. And this person is so dissimilar to me, much better. I like, be with me, make me better. Hang out with me. Be mine. That'll make me better. Because you're so much better than me. I'm not as pretty, as handsome, as beautiful, as blah, blah, blah. Make me better. Be mine. And then cut through. Where's the common ground? Where's the common ground? Ho, ho. Good. Let's practice. As always, let's set out by striking a balance within our own body, speech, and mind, by settling each one in its natural state, practicing as before.
and arouse your imagination and your memory and bring to mind someone as vividly as you can. Towards whom negative feeling arises, whether or not it's true hatred, but nevertheless some type of aversion, and perhaps for very good reason. We call it justified. The way this person has treated you, perhaps treated other people, or just the character, the mode of behavior, the attitudes expressed by this person. They arouse a strong sense of aversion or even revulsion, bring to mind such a person, and attend closely to those qualities that you find so repellent, and allow the aversion to arise. Then, as if you were attending to this person in a dream, knowing that the three-dimensionality of this person, as you envision his, him or her, is drawn from your own memories, your own imagination, your own substrate consciousness, this storehouse consciousness. See through the appearances of your creation another type of cognoscopy probing through the appearances, but this time going outwards, probe deeply enough to where you see no significant difference between yourself and this person. Total empathy, total resonance, total affinity. Each one of us wishing to be free of suffering and its causes. Each one wishing to find happiness and its causes. As you breathe in, imagine all the darkness of this person's suffering in all dimensions and the underlying causes of suffering, symbolically in a form of dark cloud. Imagine this converging in upon this radiant orb of light at your heart, your essential purity. With each in-breath, imagine it being drawn in and dissolving there without trace, with the aspiration, may you, like myself, be free of suffering and its causes.
with each out-breath arouse the yearning, may you like myself. Find the happiness that is your innermost desire. And may you find the true causes of such happiness. And breathe out the light of loving-kindness from your heart. And imagine it to be so. Let the appearance of this person fade back into your substrate, the space of the mind. And now vividly bring to mind someone for whom you feel strong attachment. Not simply love, but something more. I really need you. My well-being depends on you. You're the source of my happiness. attend closely to these attractive qualities that arouse such strong desire, such strong attachment, that you'd be grief-stricken if this person disappeared from your life. Allow that attachment to arise. Now pierce through the veil of appearances until you tap into a depth where there's a complete equality between self and other. 
awareness that each one is equally worthy of being free of suffering and finding happiness, attending to the person at that depth. With each in-breath arouse the aspiration of compassion, drawing in and dissolving the darkness. With each out-breath breathe out the aspiration of loving-kindness, the light of loving-kindness. Imagine these aspirations being fulfilled. Let the appearance of this person fade back into the space of the mind. And now vividly bring to mind a person for whom you feel no particular attachment or aversion.
such that if this person were to disappear from your life, it would hardly leave a ripple, neither relief nor sadness. From a self-centered perspective, this person doesn't really count for much. Attend to those bland appearances and allow that indifference to arise. Now penetrate through and practice as before.
release all appearances, all aspirations, and let your awareness rest in its own nature. So in this practice, now very briefly, we tap in once again to a point of common ground between the shamatha practices we're engaging in and then the four immeasurables. And the common ground is the substrate consciousness. Settling there, you settle into one level, a relative level, of what is in Tibetan called nyamsha, meditative equipoise. It's balance. It's balance all over again. And a very famous quote from the Buddha, cited in multiple traditions, Theravada, Mahayana, and so forth, is that the mind established in meditative equipoise comes to see reality as it is. It's also a very scientific theme, and that is to be able to attend without bias, without subjective bias, with objectivity. That's just the pinnacle of scientific observation. Observe it objectively, right? So as we're seeking to cultivate or to discover shamatha, we're settling into, coming to settle into, equipoise, which is the equipoise of the substrate consciousness. But likewise, as we wish to see others as they actually are, without all of the distortions of our own cognitive lenses, of our preferences, our likes and our don't, don't likes, our versions and attachments, then also, once again, that same aspect of equipoise, seeing others with even evenness, without the distortion of mental afflictions, equipoise. And where is that common ground? Of course, it's the substrate consciousness. Everything above that, as soon as it emerges, it's individual, it's unique. As soon as your substrate consciousness is activated, it's going to be your dream and nobody else's dream, because nobody else has your unique background. 
So it's your baby. It's a private showing. It's unique. But when you let that coarse mind dissolve into the substrate, even though the way that substrate is configured from past memories and so forth and so on, when you're just resting there, you don't know whether it's a, a woman's mind that's just dissolved into it, or a man's mind, or a South American, or European, or, or Australian mind that's just dissolved there. When you're resting there, you're resting in kind of an anonymous space that's equal, it's the same. You come to a common ground. Nice mudra. I don't know if it is a mudra, but I like it. Two hands together, even. You come to know others as they are. You come to know reality as it is. That must be good. Enjoy your day.